Welcome to the Fit for Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, owner of Davis Fitness Method here in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is your resource for reliable fitness information. This information has been sourced from studies, experts, and real-world application from training with my clients and my own body. We're here to help you enhance your life by giving you practical takeaways that you can use today so that your energy, mood, and mindset begin to change right away. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into this episode. All right, guys, welcome to today's episode. I have a information-filled podcast today. Thanks to our guest, Nick Ridpath. Nick Ridpath is a prescript coach. You know me. I love a good prescript coach. He's also the owner of Unbranded Fitness, and he coaches out of DMV Iron. He's also a fitness writer and overall just good guy. Check out this podcast because it's going to save you a ton of injuries. It's going to save you time in the gym. And it's going to help you get more efficient with your process. So if those are all things that you are interested in obtaining or avoiding, go ahead and pay attention to this episode. So without further ado, here's Nick. All right, Nick, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Just very briefly, just have you introduce yourself know where you're from what you do and uh and then then we can kick this thing off yeah what's up guys um nick ridpath i live in the dc area i'm a coach trainer at dmb iron gym probably one of the coolest gyms in the country if not in the world um also from my online business i have a background i played uh fish one football at the college william mary um spent a lot of time in pt clinics i originally wanted to do pt um, a lot of experience there. Then I got into working in uh, sports performance when I got out of college. I actually worked in the same clinic that I did PT stuff in. Uh, it's kind of a weird mix. It was sports performance and PT together. So got a lot of experience training athletes, all different sports, all different ages. Um, and also doing uh, training people who were cleared from physical or clear from physical therapy. Awesome, dude. Um, so yeah, like I've seen, I've seen, I mean, we run in the same circles. We, we met in prescript and, um, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about online is kind of like what we were hoping to talk to you about today. I've got some, some questions. So, um, and then we maybe spitball back and forth, but some of your thoughts on, um, like a lot of people are like, they understand like, okay, I want to be working out, but I also want to be doing other things and I need to kind of manage how, how training fits into my life. How do I know what's enough? How do I know what's too much? Like what's gonna, what's gonna injure me and what's not, where would you begin with somebody who's like, okay, like I want to start getting in, I want to get, start getting in the gym. I haven't really trained. Um, I do a little bit of tennis or something like that. Like just, that would be one example. Um, but maybe somebody, um, like that who wants to maybe like, they would describe it as tone up, uh, get stronger and, um, be able to, to do more of the things that they enjoy. Yeah. So it's how to fit into their life. <clears throat> um, so I always think of like training a training program for people. You ever seen like the, the food show chopped? Yeah. Like three rounds. It's like an appetizer. It's like a main portion of dessert and they get these like really weird ingredients. It's like make, this appetizer with octopus, like chocolate icing and like breadcrumbs. Like, what the hell? How am I going to do this? <laughs> well, I think of training almost in the same way where it's like those three things are almost going to be like your personal goals, your time constraints. So what else do you have going on? Family, business, social life, you know, how are you going to fit your training into your life considering this thing? Which and also the octopus. Uh, dude, probably that one. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the third one could be like move, movement restrictions. And I would even group it in and say like training age, right? So how skilled are you? How knowledgeable are you? What sort of restrictions do you have from a movement standpoint? So do you move generally well? Are you somebody who would describe themselves as being generally unathletic? Um, and what kind of aches and pains do you have? Have you seen a trainer before told you had X issue or seen a practitioner told you had X issue? So you have to consider all those things. And then above all else, I think starting off, you have to just be realistic. So especially from a time standpoint, People are always like, okay, what's the best training split? Six days, five days, four days, three yeah. days, two days. Well, it's like, well, how many days can you train? Realistically, if I said you had to train three days for the rest of the year, I'll give you a million dollars or X amount of days, what would you say? So they say three days. 
hey, you can realistically fit three days into your program. Well, that's what you're going to do. doesn't matter if six is best. doesn't matter if four is best, five is best. Like you're going to do what you can actually realistically do and stick with. So the first part is just like being realistic with those three things. Um, when I say time constraints, your movement limitations, and your goals. So with given the goals that you have, given the time constraints of your life, and given any sort of restrictions, any sort of skills you have in the weight room, where does that leave you to start with? Yeah, fair. Um, so, so let's say like somebody, um, they start, they started weight training. They've, um, they've also decided that they want to do, you know, Pilates. They want to maybe run sometimes. Do you feel like they're going to do too much? Do you feel like they're not going to do enough? Do you think that splitting everything up is going to uh, divide their tension? up too much what how would you how would you like i think these are questions that people have they're like am i doing enough am i doing too much am i going to hurt myself am i actually getting better at any one of these things yeah man we we feel these questions like every day from people um so the question of am i doing too much i think it'd be too much of a general statement to say no you're not but most people aren't doing too much most people are doing too little most people, the things that they're crossing over are mixing together. So if you're weight training two days a week, I'm sorry if you're that thunder. Um, if you're weight training three days a week and you're also doing like orange theory or solid core or something like that, another two days a week, you're probably not doing too much. Now, if you're training for a marathon and you're also training five days a week in the gym lifting, that might be a bit too much, right? And that's where like the level of the stimulus that, that, that are competing together. So if you're competing a high um, competition endurance stimulus with a hypertrophy stimulus in the gym, those are probably going to be interfering with each other, right? Like you're probably not, you're probably going to not doing either one very well. If you're doing something that's more low level, like if you're just the average uh, gym goer, you're training three days a week, pretty hard. You're doing some Pilates, you're doing some yoga, you're even going for a run a couple of days a week the level to which that's going to interfere with each other, it's probably pretty low, right? Now, the the question could be, how do you know if you're doing too much? Well, since you started exercising, are you feeling better? Generally, is your mood better? Is your energy better? Feeling stronger? Are you getting better at both? Is your performance in the gym going up? Is your performance at uh, running going up? You know, start to look at those things. Am I getting hurt? So do I feel injuries coming on? Am I achy all the time? If the answer to that is yes, if your mood is getting worse, like you're tired all the time, having trouble sleeping, right? If it's making the quality of your life worse and you're not getting better at anything you're doing, then maybe you're doing too much. What time, what time frame would you, would you say is like, okay, now it's notable. Cause like if somebody's like achy one day versus I've been achy for, you know, three days a week, a month, I don't know. So, okay. So week one for everybody. Everyone gets wrecked week one. Come in the gym. doesn't matter what we do. We can do two sets of three different things for your legs. Your legs are going to feel terrible for like five or six days. Come back in week two, do the same things. The next day, you're barely sore. Like, what the hell? You know, last week, I couldn't walk, and now I feel fine. So with that aside, let's say you've been training for, you know, two, three weeks, and the entire time since you started, you've just felt worse. You feel like you're worse off since you started exercising than before. That's probably an issue, right? Week one, you're wrecked. If you're still wrecked week two, if you're a little bit wrecked week two, that's probably still normal too. Week three, if you feel the same way you felt week one, then you're probably doing a bit too much. It's probably going to be an issue there with how much you're doing. Okay. So if, um, let's say somebody's they've been training, um, they noticed generally they were feeling better. Um, and then all of a sudden things are starting to take a turn. Um, maybe it's like, <clears throat> they're like six months in. And now they're like, oh, now my knees are getting like a little bit achy. Um, but I've also started, you know, playing more tennis or something like that. Or I've also started running more. Do you, what, what adjustments would you make um, in that situation? Would you tell that person to stop doing the other things? Would you, tell, would you pull down training volume a little bit? Or would you just begin to ask more questions about what's going on outside of those things? Yeah, I mean, you always start with asking more questions. You have to get the whole context before you can give your best answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, like the damage is in the dose. That's something that Eric Bergara said a couple weeks ago. That's really stuck with me. It's right. like, 
the damage is in the amount that you choose to do. So if you go from training five days a week with no tennis, and now all of a sudden you're playing tennis for, you know, three hours a week, you've added in a significant amount of training time, right? That's like five days would be five, let's say five hours. You add in three more hours of training. That's almost, that's greater than 50% more training that you're doing now, right? That's also a more repetitive nature sport compared with weightlifting. So it's a different stimulus altogether. So you've added in a significant stimulus to your body that you probably can't handle, at least in the short term. So my advice is always, okay, well, understanding this, right? Explain it to them. Which one do you think you would prefer to cut back on? A little bit. And it, it doesn't need to be like forever, right? Like something like that's pretty manageable. That example, you could get to a point where you're playing tennis 30 minutes a day and training for uh, an hour, like four days a week, five days a week, whatever. But it's helping them understand, like you have to cut back somewhere, at least in the short term, you have to scale it in. So maybe we say, okay, how about we do uh, an hour of tennis a week instead of three hours and see what kind of changes happen there. You can adjust your volume in the gym as well. See if you need to start feeling better, see if you're less achy, whatever. And we can say, let's add in 30 minutes every week until you're up to your three hours. We could say, or the client could say, um, you know, tennis is my priority. Okay, so maybe we cut back to three days per week in the gym. Three days per week in the gym, three hours of tennis. Cool, an hour close to where we were to begin with at five hours, we just add an hour in. If we want to scale more of the gym time back in, same thing, maybe every two or three weeks, uh, we can add one of those days back in, like a month or two, right? right. So it's, even at that, what I say, a month or two, that's still a shorter time frame, right? It isn't like it's going to take you six months or a year to add in something like that. Now we can get on the rabbit hole of saying like, well, th this person's all of a sudden training for a marathon or this person's doing something that's a lot more extreme, um, which would obviously have greater implications there. Yeah, that makes sense. So in terms of like um, movement, um, movement and exercise selection, because I've seen you, you do some stuff like with machines and do some stuff with some free weights and um, how you go about selecting what exercises for which individual um obviously it's like what you have available that's definitely one of the things that you're using to determine yeah. whether or not you're going to do an exercise um is what you have but how do you how do you go about selecting exercises for your clients yeah, i'm just going to tie everything back into this chop thing so one of one of the ingredients you get the, you can say all the ingredients you get that's what you have to work with Okay, so you don't have DMV Iron Gym, you have a garage gym, you have an adjustable bench and dumbbells. Okay, well, I can want you to do a lap pull down all I want. You're not going to do a lap pull down if you don't have any cables, if you don't have a lap pull down bar, right? So I think very generically, people can generally check off some action items in the gym, right? So we can kind of subdivide upper body, lower body, lower body, squat, lunge, hinge, remaining deadlifts, something like that. So those three things, doesn't mean a barbell squat, doesn't mean a barbell lunge, doesn't mean a barbell uh, deadlift or a barbell RDL. It just means some sort of variation of that. Those are three movements everybody should be able to do and everybody would benefit from doing. So the upper body, same idea. Probably a vertical pull, a horizontal pull. So they like a pull down or like a uh, cable row, right? Something above head, something horizontal. Same thing with push, something pressing overhead. Something pressing in a horizontal plane. And then bonus point, something in shoulder extension, look like dips, arms behind you. If we put all those things into a program, then we're generally going to be checking all the boxes of human function, gaining strength in all the areas that we need to. So when it comes to assessing a client or just figuring out what exercises should I be doing, it's like, well, okay, how many days of my training? I'm going to fit those in however I can. Someone is training five days a week. Obviously, we can fit in more fun stuff, more, more isolation stuff. It's much easier to fit those things in. Someone training twice a week, everything I just said might be like five exercises from one day and five from the other day. That's your two days. When it comes to assess or actually like implementing which exact exercises you use, well, it's, what's the client's skill level? What's the person's skill level? Uh, what are their movement restrictions? So how far do we have to regress an exercise for them to be able to do it efficiently? Right? Or if we're starting out, let's say it's someone's week one, let's say even if they do move pretty good, we're probably not gonna start them with the most uh, most skill demanding or, or the most load demanding. It's the most highly loadable exercise. Probably gonna start some middle ground, give our body some time to adjust, give our nervous system some time to adjust and scale from there. So 
it's much less like this person has to do this exercise. It's kind of like, okay, here's the general outline of things that I want us to do. What can you do that fits that? What can you do well? What can, can you do okay? Sorry, how, can somebody, how can somebody define um, or better identify if they have the skill required to do an exercise? So like, let's say somebody's not going to get in front of a trainer right now, whether it's not financially feasible or location or whatever. Um, how would they best identify that they have the skill to be A, doing the exercise that they're trying to do, and then B, uh, like either advancing or if they need to progress or regress? Um, to a different movement. Okay, so A, are you comfortable doing it? Does it feel tight? Do you feel pain in weird spots? Do you feel like you could record it and you could send it to a trainer and the trainer would say, hey, that's pretty good. Doesn't be great, right? Good, good is good. Good's fine. So does it feel good? Are you comfortable showing somebody else who's an expert and you think they would say, yeah, it's pretty good? I think those are really the two boxes to check off. So if you think, yeah, you know, like this, this feels comfortable. Uh, I'm pretty confident doing this. I'm not shaky, right? I'm not all over the place. My reps look consistent. So rep to rep, can you do the exercise consistently? Or is every rep looking different? Are you shaky? Are you moving around a lot? Um, things like that. Cool. And then when would they know if they need to progress from there? All right. So that's where we can get into kind of a different, um, way of looking at it because we can look at a higher skill exercise so think like regressions of the barbell squat bench and deadlift right things that are they require much more skill proficiency they're not going to be highly externally stable um they're not going to be necessarily a straight hypertrophy stimulus so they're not they're not going to be like machines cables whatever it might be something like a dumbbell bench when should we progress a dumbbell bench to a barbell bench for example so whenever we feel that we are very good at the dumbbell bench. Like without a doubt, no questions asked, trainer would think, yeah, that's sweet. We've been doing it long enough where we've gained a somewhat significant amount of strength in it, right? So we're strong enough to be comfortable progressing to something much more loaded with the barbell. And if we look at it from a hypertrophy standpoint, I just like to say, whenever you stop progressing, so we can't add any more reps, can't add any more sets, get any more load. We've tried that. We've been stuck at the same rep, rep range, stuck at the same number of sets, uh, stuck at the same load for, I'd say, give it at least three weeks, right? Because most plateaus aren't really a plateau. You know, there's outside stress that happens, poor sleep, diet, training different times a day. All sorts of things can affect our output in a given day. So whenever we were confident saying, okay, we've tried at this for at least three weeks, we're not progressing anymore, Maybe we can switch that cable row to a machine row, right? It doesn't really take much more skill to go from a cable to a machine. It's just going to be a generally different stimulus. The machine might be loadable, a little bit more loadable. Um, that'll lose you there. Sometimes I black out and talk about this stuff. Oh, makes sense. Uh, so when, when you're saying um, that it's more loadable in the sense that it's more stable so that you've got a better foundation for moving more weight, uh, yeah, and it's, yeah, basically. So okay. we can look at things in terms of like absolute load. All absolute load just means it's like generally which of these can be the heaviest. So, for example, a cable press, we're going to be capped at, uh, let's say, 50 pounds. If we go to a dumbbell press and we can cable press 50, sorry, my dog is trying to play the sweet toy. If we go from a cable press to a, a dumbbell press, obviously we can load a dumbbell press more at the same relative intensity so let's say we're training both of these sets with one rep in the tank right so if we did one more that would be failure a dumbbell press would be having the cable press a machine press could probably be loaded more than a dumbbell press so let's say i can do uh 70 pounds on dumbbells 50 pounds on cables maybe i get to like a plate loaded machine press and i can do two plates per side so 90 pounds right so 50 70 90. Those three exercises are essentially the same, right? A horizontal press. I can train them all at the same perceived intensity. So one up in the tank or RP9, however you want to see it. But each one is also a progression in the amount of total weight that I'm using. So 50 pounds, 70 pounds, 90 pounds. So I say absolute load. That's what I mean. And so when, um, so 
when, for instance, like, let's say like something is like, you've got that dumbbell press. Um, is there a time where you might have your dumbbell press in a program, but you also have that bench press and you also have that machine press? Absolutely. So it could be an example. It could be the same day, right? So it could just be, you're somebody who can afford uh, time-wise, right? Using time as a resource. Let's say we train five days a week. So let's say we do a split that's push, pull, legs, then upper body, lower body. Maybe on our push day, we have extra time for all these chest and shoulder exercises. Maybe we do a uh, cable press or a cable fly. That's like almost a warm up or a pre exhaust or something to get us ready for a dumbbell press. Come after dumbbell press. So let's say either A or B would be cable, uh, cable fly, and then dumbbell press. And then let's say we want something that's gonna be heavier, more externally stabilized, something that we can train closer to mechanical failure. So basically, our muscles giving out versus our form giving out on the dumbbell press. Maybe that's third, right? So those are all three exercises having differences in absolute load um, that we're training on the same day. And if we want to get really into it, we can look at changing the order of those things to affect loadability of the whole day. So if I put the, uh, the cable fly first, obviously I'm going to do less weight on my dumbbell press and on my machine press because that's going to make me a little bit tired, right? It's going to exhaust me a little bit. So I can train all three of those things at the same relative intensity, but by restructuring putting the cable fly first, I can lessen the absolute loading of the following too, because I'm being more tired, right? So progression of that could even be block to block, block one to block two. Let's say we progressed uh, our first block as far as we can. Now we're gonna say block. So four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. These are periods of training. An arbitrary period of training. So we could call this period of training, our first period of training, right? We're gonna train this until we can't progress anymore. So for a newbie, it's probably going to be a lot more than six to eight weeks, maybe 10 weeks, 12 weeks, or simply we get bored, right? We're going to change things up a little bit after six to eight weeks. We move that cable fly out, we move the cable fly down the order. Now we put dumbbell press first. So now we put machine press first. We're not tired going into that. We're not free exhausted. So now we can still train those three things at a higher, uh, uh, at a high relative intensity, but the overall absolute load of the workout is going to be higher so let's say we do just for a quick example cable fly first dumbbell bench second let's say we do dumbbell bench at 50 pounds right and let's say block two we do dumbbell bench and then cable fly maybe we dumbbell bench 60 pounds or 65 pounds because now we're not tired going into that exercise and so earlier on you kind of um when you were talking about um like exercise selection you did mention a little bit like um does any do they have like movement restrictions and stuff like that so um, is there a ways that they can safely, can, people can safely progress through movement, like without like having their shoulder fully assessed or how, how might one simply be able to identify like, oh, like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this exercise or I should be moving. Like, how do you know which exercise where to go? Yeah. So um, we're both pre-script background. So we can just look at, let's just break apart like the shoulder and the hip the spine. Not getting too nerdy, let's just say the shoulder would be our general capacity, our ability to train overhead and in shoulder extension. So think like hand in your pocket, slightly behind you to reach and towards your back pocket. So can we press overhead? Can we do a pull down from overhead comfortably? Do we feel stable? Are we not shaky? Does it hurt? Are we compensating at the spines? Are we like really arching our back? Back to think reaching your chest to the sky in order to get overhead? Or can we maintain our ribs over our hips in a neutral position? So if we can maintain a stable torso, we can get overhead, we can push and pull from overhead. We can do something like a machine dip, something like a, a cable extension with arms line as comfortably, then you're probably good to progress to whatever you want to uh, overhead, whether it be going from dumbbell overhead press to barbell overhead press, or whether it be... Uh, oh, let's say you couldn't. So you could be couldn't, right? So let's say we can't get overhead. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this. I don't think it's confusing. Right. But just assess generally where is your active range of motion overhead. So if you were just to stick your arms out in front of you and reach your palms up, how far overhead can you get before you can't go any further without arching your back? Figure that out, 
start there, you can simply just take a cable. You can set the cable up around that height and you can start doing pull downs or rows from there. So let's right. say you have, you're matching the press to that angle or the pull to that angle. Exactly. So maybe we do, uh, maybe we match the incline of a bench to that angle. Right. Or maybe, maybe even that doesn't feel good. Maybe we just start with a rowing motion that's pulling us into that position. All right. So we're just building a general capacity to train that position. The nervous system is pretty cool. So usually it doesn't take too long to actually progress that into the overhead position. So maybe, you know, week one, it's a little bit uncomfortable, right? We're, we want it to be uncomfortable. No one to hurt. We're going to find a position where it's like, okay, it's a little bit tight, but I can manage that, right? It's almost like a, when you stretch, right? You want to make it a little uncomfortable. So finding, <clears throat> finding where you're a little bit uncomfortable, but not intolerable. Start there, build a capacity there. Once that's comfortable, move it up a little bit more. Right, move up a little bit more, a little bit more. Now we're overhead. Cool. So we can look at um, uh, like generally lower body movements the same way. So can we squat? Can we hinge? Can we do lunges? The biggest thing that I see is people have an inability to control their pelvis. So in, in layman's terms, uh, not even layman's terms, do you have strip ass with everything you're doing? Are you, are you in a lot of anterior pelvic tilt? So is arching your butt your back. in the sky? Yeah, are you arching your back? Or can you keep a more neutral position? Think almost like crunching, tucking your hips underneath you. Can you keep that and maintain that while you're squatting, while you're lunging, while you're hinging? So if you have pretty good control over your pelvis, your back doesn't hurt, your hamstrings aren't, uh, aren't tight all the time. Have you, have you ever heard somebody say their, their back doesn't go that way? uh no but mainly so here's my thing most people don't know their bodies right most people just aren't aware so they just assume that they can't right if you if you've never moved in a certain way if that's um a movement adaptation that you have because of your structure right so if you're somebody who biases i'll just call it like generally uh, an extension posture right so like your butt's kind of facing the sky shoulder blades kind of pressed together your chest is up like the bodybuilder, like walking in, his chest all pumped up. If you're somebody who biases that sort of movement, um, and you've done it, you've done it because of your structure your whole life. Then okay, maybe your maybe your uh, your hips or your pelvis or your back doesn't move that way because you never had it move that way. So you don't know what that feels like. The biggest thing for people like that, I don't try and tell them what to do. So okay, I'm going to find a constraint that's going to put you where I want to put you. So the less that I can say, easier. So if you're somebody who can recognize it with yourself, like, okay, it's really weird for me to maintain this like stack position or not keep my butt flared out, do something like hug a med ball while you learn to lunge, right? Or even do like a goblet squat, something that's going to have weight more out in front of you. And it's going to be pulling your chest down more into that crunch position, finding ways where you don't have to consciously think about it because the weight, the support you're using to so think like laying down on a bench, that's going to pull you into a more uh, crunch position or more like post really expanded. It's going to help you spread your shoulder blades apart for somebody who's not, uh, uh, not very good at doing that. Right. So in terms of like exercising safely, like, yeah, there's like, there's general things that you can do um, just like, but without, without a ton of context, it's kind of hard. So like when somebody's like, how, how can I, what are like 10 strategies for making sure that, my technique is good and that um, I can progress this exercise and stuff like that. We have, we have some things, um, but in terms of like them knowing in general assessment, it's like, well, I think I'm doing it right. So I must be doing it right. Um, yeah. We can use general statements here. And this person's asking this question. Okay. Am I doing it right? If you're asking the question, then you probably know, whether you are in, in this manner, right? If you're saying the 10 things, you probably know. Are you hurt? No. Okay. Are you hurt? Yes. Okay. Probably doing something wrong. That's step one. Are you making progress? Yes. Okay. Probably doing something right. No. Okay. And you're probably not doing something right. All right. Just looking at it simply. Now, if you think that you are doing those things right, that's where we can just generally say, okay, check off those action items that I mentioned earlier. So vertical pull, uh, vertical push, horizontal pull, horizontal push, something in shoulder extension, 
lunge, hinge, squat. Do those things. I don't care how you do them. I care a little bit, but for the, <laughs> the sake of this, I don't care how you do them. You do those things. You're a trained lifter. You're somebody who maybe has never worked with a trainer before, but you've been in the gym for a while. You generally know what you're doing. You're self-taught. That's fine. Most people are, right? If, if you're one of those people, generally just make sure you check off those things, making sure you're moving your shoulder through its range of motion by doing those different planes, uh, both concentrically and eccentric ways, both pushing and pulling. Um, and then making sure you're doing some stuff on one leg, i.e. lunges, getting some hip extension, some hip flexion, being able to hinge, most people are secured of a hinge position, to so being able to make that a strong position. It's a very, um, uh, very common position you see in life, like picking up dog food, picking up shit off the ground, mm. being able to do that, and then being able to squat, which is really how, healthy expression. How important is it that you're doing it right if the technique is off? Like if I've deemed that I'm doing it right, like am I go- like the question? Am I going low enough? Does that matter for like squat, for example? To an extent, right? So, am I going low enough? Do you have movement restrictions? What is it on? Does your well, body- if I go lower, I don't feel like I'll come back up. Okay, so it's a a weakness. Yeah. So if you're weak in certain positions, like generally. I think everybody should be able to squat ass to ass. That doesn't mean with a barbell on your back, heel wedges are fine, right? So usually people don't lack ankle mobility. Usually people who suck at squatting in depth have adequate mobility. What they don't have is an ability to control their center of mass, or they're just like me and they're tall as shit and have really long femurs. So you know, gravity's working against you. If you can elevate someone's heels and they can squat all the way down they're doing something right, they're good to go. You elevate someone's heels and they can't squat all the way down. That's where we can say, okay, that's more so your active range of motion. But then we can start to just scale lower and lower degrees of squatting. So we can only squat to, sorry, go ahead. Over the course of your training, your own personal training, like working out, <clears throat> have you noticed an improvement in, like, have you ever looked back at old training videos and be like, God, I can't believe i used to work out like that yeah, yeah of course i look at just like things that i said like three months ago and i kind of laugh at it like <laughs> that was stupid. right so that's, so that's like good- so the person like i'm i'm imagining maybe you would or you wouldn't i don't know it's, maybe this is more life philosophy but i imagine given the opportunity right now you'd go back and tell that person who probably deemed that they were making progress to make some adjustments right mm-hmm. yeah how does that person know they're not doing the right thing? I think the better question is to what extent does it matter? Yeah. I, so I, yeah. To what extent does it matter? Right. Cause those are probably little things. So like if I'm thinking about myself a year ago and how I was training, I wasn't doing anything inherently harmful, right? The things that I wasn't doing right were probably things that might make a, a one to 5% difference. In much- terms of like a strength cap or something? Just generally speaking, just okay. like generally, whatever my goals are, the, the magnitude of those things are pretty small. You're mostly right, but yeah, it was just a little bit off. Right, things wrong. For most people, most people come in the door looking for help with training. The movement that they need help with are the things that we already talked about. Getting overhead, controlling the pelvis, Right, being able to do a lunge correctly. Yep. So if you feel confident doing those things, if they feel good, right? If you don't have back pain, you don't have hip knee pain, you don't have shoulder pain, you're probably fine. You're probably not doing anything that's gonna hurt you. You're probably not doing anything that's counterproductive in the gym. Probably much healthier than most people. You're doing a good job. If you have any specific questions, obviously you know who to reach out to. Right. So, um, so for the most part, as long as, is somebody's like, uh, like, I don't know, they feel stable in that position. Cause I was looking at the video. I don't re- remember how old it was, but I was watching my split squat and oh, it was a Bulgarian split squat and I was two KB front racking in. Um, and I just see that my rib cage is up and my pelvis is tipped forward and I'm like dropping to the bottom real quick and I'm coming back up and I had like 106 pounds like it was like 56 or 53 in each hand 
Mm. I was like, I probably in that moment was like, oh, I'm killing it. I'm on one leg, double front rack. But I look at it and I was like, oh, man, that that was terrible. And um, at one point, I probably would have stopped. I would have stopped that person because in theory, I should the weight being in front of me should have drove that rib cage down. Mm. I should have had adequate hip extension. It was like clear that the thing was too high and it was like like I was too far out, like just all these things. Right. And so like what I thought I was training, I wasn't training. And I probably even limited the amount of stress that actually went through my leg. And so I, I think the extent to it, to how much it matters was like how much I wanted to get out of that exercise versus, Oh, like if I just did regular split squats, like I probably would have got more out of a regular split squat. Right. And for most people and most people in their training, it's like they, when they're training, they want to do it right. They don't want to be the person with the two KB with their rib cage flared, even though that might be better than where they're at now. Cause they're like, Oh, he has the strength to put it there and, and you're doing well, but how do you make sure you're still progressing in that fashion? Because that guy at one point was probably doing something right. Mm-hmm. But then he ended up on the wrong track. Were you, were you hurt? Did you have injuries? I, I probably had been at some point. Yeah. Um, or like, or like, or that's what led me to trying to do that exercise in the first place. Yeah. I think doing something wrong inherently leads to asking a better question. Mm-hmm. You hurt yourself or you don't get better at it. So you're going to f- try and figure out why you are hurt or mm-hmm. why you're not getting better at it. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like, uh, if you're asking for 10 things, generally speaking, versus if you're asking, hey, you know, um, I can't add any more weight to my Bulgarian split squat, right? You've gone from very general to more specific. A more specific question will give a more specific answer, a more specific fix to your right. problem. So I think just going, um, going along that route, that kind of answers all of that. Yeah, fair enough. So, um, so it seems one way to really identify if you're doing something right, which you've, you've said, you've iterated a few times, uh, is basically that you're progressing, that you notice that you are actually getting stronger. You're able to perform more repetitions. You feel more stable. And one way to tell things are not going right is you start to have aches and pains, um, or you to develop some sort of injury. Yeah, follow performance. Are you getting better at what you're doing? Follow how you feel. So, are you moving well? Okay, yep, yeah. Are you comfortable? Did you have any, you know, aches and pains? Some people don't have anything inherently wrong, other than the fact that they're just inactive. And when they become active, those things go away. Mm-hmm. Right. So, are you moving what well? do you think are what do you think are some of the top things that people can do to improve their performance in the gym? Improve their performance in the gym. Yeah. Uh, focus on quality of movement before quantity. So we often look over things that we can't measure, right? So we're always about sets, reps, load, uh, and rarely are we like, because you can't quantify the quality of, of squat. You can look at it and say, that's a good squat. Almost everybody can answer to see a good squat and say, oh, yeah, it's a good squat. Like, oh, that row looks good. That bench press looked good and smooth, right? A lot of the time we overlook that. So we don't actually get proficient at the movement before we jump into really trying to load it, really trying to push reps, push sets, push the quantitative side of that. So I think my, my rule one is just, like, focus on the quality of the movement first. Would the quality be, um, like in some way, like that rep consistency? Yeah. So every rep should pretty much look the same out the gate. Every rep should look pretty much the same. It should be controlled. It should be fluid, especially in the end ranges. You shouldn't be bouncing out of the end ranges, right? The points, uh, to which let's, let's say you're doing a press, for example, right? Your, your pack runs across your chest. Your chest should be able to remain relatively stable, right? So our base itself is stable. 
stable and smooth. Every rep looks the same. As we get tired, we should build the capacity to keep quality of movement as we get tired. Most people come in, we can teach them how to do a certain exercise. Let's say we're doing a set of 10. First six, seven reps look great. The last three is where it goes to shit. So, right. okay. You know, we bring them in week two, same thing. We clean up reps seven and eight. Come back in the next week, whatever, clean up reps nine, 10. Now we can do our entire set with that weight. Every up looks good. Now we can start to progress that via sets, via load. So what you just described is a three sets of 10 where somebody might look at that on paper and be like, you went three by 10, three by 10, three by 10. But each week you made progress because you cleaned up how consistent the reps were from week one to week three by adding a better like rep consistency in through that end range, like that 10 reps. Yep, exactly. You could do four weeks of that, just three by 10. Week one, come in, you do three sets. Let's go back to that dumbbell bench I keep using. Let's say um, we do 40 pounds for set one. Okay, that was way easier than we wanted to be, but it was still pretty, it was hard enough for us to kind of set. Mm-hmm. Try 45 next. And that was pretty challenging, but we could still do a little bit more uh, with good form. So we do 50. 50 is our first like really hard set, really tough set. And let's say towards the last few reps, our form wasn't bad, but it wasn't great, right? We cleaned it up. Coming back in week two, okay, we know we finished with last week. We can just do all three sets at that top weight. That's a progression on its own. So let's change reps. So let's change sets. So let's come in, we'll do three sets of 50. So we come in, we do three sets of 50. Same thing as week one, you know, our last three reps, two reps, a little bit shaky. Good, not great. Cool. Week three, come in, make them all perfect. Come in, 10 reps, 10 reps, 10 reps. Shayness is gone. I feel pretty comfortable. Cool. Let's do 12 next week. Let's add a set next week. Let's try 55, right? So improving quality before we improve quantity. Go a long way. And it could go the opposite as well, right? We could be somebody who's pretty well trained, good quality movement across the board, and we could make a big jump in intensity. We could be going from, you know, 100 pound dumbbells to uh, 105. That's a pretty big difference when you get that down now. Uh, uh, let's say 100 to 110. Almost instantly, like most people, their form, even if their form is really good at 100, it's going to be a little bit off. That jump in intensity. And we do the same thing, right? We just clean up reps each week until all the reps are clean. Yeah, that makes sense. So in terms of knowing um, how much to do, like if somebody's kind of like quickly jotting down a program, they're just getting started. How do they know like, oh, I should do this many sets or I should do this many reps or like how do how do you pick a rep range for each exercise? Or um, I, I get that there could be a ton here, but like if you could just think about generally like oh, okay, I should be doing about this many sets per exercise or um, per body part or however you are splitting that up. So per body part, I'm, st- I'm going to keep going back to this action I have been thinking most people just check these off. I wanted you to go back to chopped. Chopped, yeah, chopped. <laughs> your ingredients are given, no. Um, so your horizontal vertical push-pull, overhand squat, uh, lunge, already forgot what I said right? Looking at those things, if we do say two to four sets, eight to 12 reps, this is my most generic prescription possible. You're probably going to be doing a good job. Things like that are higher in skill proficiency, that lift, squat, barbell bench, maybe do less reps, right? We want repeatability. We want to kind of eliminate those shaky reps. So as we're practicing that, getting better at it, maybe we do three by five, four by five, more sets, less reps, right? Still like a more moderate intensity. So it's not like a, a freaking grinder set of five, but I mean, we can practice. Think about high school things like practice, other things, three to two to four sets, eight to 12 reps. Other things could be like a bicep curl or something. Yeah, bicep curl. Isolation stuff, if you like feeling the pump, Here's an everyday gym goer and then it hits since 20. Nothing wrong. Do you do any direct core training? Uh personally, no. Okay. What uh what about with what about with new clients? With new clients, 
most of them, I would say yes, mainly because they want to, and there's an enjoyment aspect of it. Just abs in general, right? If if we're functionally strong, we're functionally stable. Do we want to grow our abs? So do you want your abs to not to think about it this way? Crunches aren't gonna make us thinner. Not gonna make fat melt off of our, our washboard abs. We're gonna actually physically hypertrophy or grow the muscle. So the same way that we do bicep curls for our biceps to get bigger, we would be doing ab work uh, for the sake of growing our abs. So that's something you want to do. And yeah, should sure it can be in your program. It's something you enjoy doing. If it makes you feel good, like honestly, if it makes you feel good and that's why you do it, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I made a post the other day and it was like I let all my clients pick one thing every day if they want to. It can be something that I think is ridiculous or super stupid. But you know what? They get enjoyment out of it. Makes them feel good. I can control the constraints around it. I can make sure it's done in a productive way. Well, everybody wins. They're happy. And that exercise is literally just, just, just for enjoyment and just for, um, just the sake of trying new exercise or, or there's not necessarily an adaptation you're looking to gain from that particular exercise. There could be an adaptation still, right? So okay. Like I'm never gonna program a seated hip abduction. I think like the but what the, if they wanted it? The good girl, bad girl machine. I have a client who's like, hey, we haven't done this. It's my favorite exercise in the world. Cool. We can do it. You know, I'm seeing you an hour, four days a week. Sure as shit, one of those days, last five minutes, we go over the machine and I'll let you look silly for a short while. You know, we can still progress in the same way. I'm still gonna try and progress. Like I just said earlier, right? Progress quality, making sure that I can't let you just call that exercise silly without explaining why. It's not actually silly. It's just like, <laughs> don't get me started on this. Instagram's turning into PubMed, uh, PubMed out here. If I open Instagram one more time and I see like a 16 slide carousel post of EMG data that somebody did in house, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. That's a whole different story though. Anyways, if we're arguing over E-class exercises, I don't even care. You know, if it's the last thing of your day, it's probably the least important or one of the least important. Otherwise, you put it first. It's not actually silly. If you do it, you're going to grow some muscle. It just isn't the most effective way to grow your glutes, right? It doesn't line up very well with our glute meat. That's our goal to grow that, right? The cable might be How bad. important is that, that effectiveness in terms of exercise selection? So like if you just slammed like if it's not that effective but you put like 10 exercises are you, are you still going to get the job done it's not efficient right but like could you get it done in less exercises probably but if you did those 10 and you like those 10 will you get a similar result or is it is the is the result going to be otherworldly like it depends at the time frame right <clears throat> so and also like your training age when everybody starts everything works you look at research people who start uh, get people off the couch let's do one group runs one group does yoga one group does weight training first weeks they're probably all going to lose weight probably all going to improve drastically health wise one isn't going to necessarily separate itself from the pack versus the other if you look at that over 24 weeks or over a year or over two years or over three years or before you know however long right like the the clear winner is going to emerge from the pack so that, people, those probably tend to be the exercises that like line up well, that are strong positions that are loadable positions so that you can then grow them. Yeah. Yeah. See, that makes sense. So when, um, when I see some stuff online like people are like, well, like this person does all these exercises and I'm like, those, those people tend to have like such a, like they have such a passion to grow a certain specific muscle that it kind of grows as a, as a result because of like, they're, they're, they're doing so many things. Could they do less and achieve more you know, potentially, but they tend to like kind of shotgun approach. And it's like, well, the execution maybe was a little off on this one was a little better on that one, but he did, ten, if they did 10 exercises, you might, you might get something done. Yeah. So if you're working hard and you're getting adequate recovery, and they're eating well. Most of these people are very good with nutrition. 
they're very particular about getting their sleep, cool. You're probably going to see progress if you train more right. and recovering. It's because they're really passionate yeah. about it. Yeah. As far as like Instagram influencers doing whatever booty workout, and it's just like a 10, 10 slide workout of six sets of 20. Like, ain't, what? First off, ain't no fucking way. Sorry if you have to bleep that out. I don't know how to see your podcast. Is. No, we're good. There's absolutely no way they're actually doing that. Even if they are, it's almost like me shooting a uh, shooting a plaster wall. I don't know, and then drawing the target after I've shot. Like this person already had a fat ass. They have good genetics and they train decently hard, whatever. Or they just have good genetics. Now they decide they're going to be an influencer. They post these ten exercises. The target already been hit. You know, drawing drawing that around it. Like that's not the reason why why they are the way they are. Right. It's like they're just doing this after the fact. I saw one. I saw one today where this person was doing a plank, and this is a booty workout. So they're doing a plank, but with like leg lift, so it's like hip extension, mm-hmm. and like their whole back just arches as, as that leg tries to go up. They have a band. Around like no, no, no band. No uh, ankle weight, uh, no nothing. Just Pilates style glute workout. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm done. I don't even have to go through the rest of your slides if the first one's this one. Yeah, it's all you need to see. Like, <laughs> same as when I opened the EMG shit, dude. I see an EMG on Instagram. I'm not, not going to read it. I don't care. It's 15 slides of EMG. It's 10 slides of a girl doing the same banded glute workout or even a dude doing it we have some dudes doing it now too i'm not gonna look at it i know what it is um yeah i i recently ran into the dude with the sickest set of glutes (laughs) and um yeah i don't know i don't know his actual name but his instagram name is like be sick fit and like dude has the but like lots of it is like single leg deadlift um bulgarian split squats and i'm like that's my guy <laughs> yeah. he probably just has good genetics and he trains really hard yep. with those things because for him that's all i need like all it takes yep that was like yeah that was like i think like 90 percent of the things that i saw were like those sets setups and i was like yeah i think the kiss principle is great keep it simple stupid keep it yeah. simple i need a lot of variety you just need to do the right things, the simple things that work very well. Do some variation of that. The action items. I'm going to print this on a poster just so you can send it to all your listeners. Do those action items. Find some variation of those. Do it really well. Don't need to worry about all this special booty banded, whatever, plank, freaking hip extension, whatever the hell you saw on Instagram. Things that work. Do them well. There are tools that work. For the job that you want to accomplish yeah um it, yeah when when it what it all boils down to is kind of like you know put put in some effort if it's you know hurting get it looked at and um you know make sure that you're actually like in in good condition to actually exercise getting the recovery and making sure that you're sleeping probably taking care of yourself to some degree yeah outside of the gym like we 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 go through all of this like we mentioned all of this as if rest is a given um because um i do feel like that gets that definitely gets overlooked like we talk all these tra- training specific things like when a lot of the times like what's going to determine how well recovered you are is just how well you're sleeping yeah and like i'm sure it gets talked about a lot but more from people who are focused in the fitness space, they see people talking about sleep, but I really like just how many people get surprised when I'm like, Oh, yo, you didn't sleep that much. And you're kind of wondering why you feel this way today. You know, it's kind of one-to-one right there. Mm-hmm. That's the thing too. It's like, you know, yourself better than anybody else. So, you know, if you're somebody who could get away with less sleep, somebody who needs more sleep, somebody who burns their toast in the morning, and it ruins your whole day and then your training sucks because you're actually that stressed 
Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean like, I'm not even saying you're mentally weak. I'm just saying some people are affected by stress in different yeah, ways. Definitely. Some people can get in a freaking car accident on the way to the gym, get to the gym and still have a great session. Different people have different capacities to handle stress. Different people have different capacities to handle different amounts of sleep. But those things do ultimately matter. And being keyed in on that. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, and like you could, you could kind of, you could auto-regulate your programming based on some of that too. Yeah. I think it almost auto-regulates itself. Even like for me, if I, uh, you know how I sleep, I can like, get like six and a half hours. If I stay up 30 minutes later or an hour later, I get less than six hours. I'm not going to go to the gym and assume because I slept less, my workouts will be worse. Mm. I might, I might be aware of it. I might be like, okay, I know I don't feel great today. It may be one of those days, but I'm still going to try. I'm going to still going to try to make progress and then reassess while I'm actually like, you know, getting my hands dirty in the gym. So if I'm like, you know, two working sets deep on my first, second exercise, I feel good. Then cool. That would have been a waste. If I yeah. You show up that day. You know, but if I get a set in, or even like a warm up set in, two warm up sets in, three more warm up sets in, I'm like, man, I feel like dog shit. It's like, okay, I was aware, you know, now I'll regulate, right? Right. Doing one less set, doing a little less load, whatever, I'll get after it again next week. Right. And then if you were going to look at that after the fact, you might assume it was because of sleep or thinking, what what other things could have affected it? Like maybe I didn't eat before my session, I normally do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nutrition. So, like, just like how much, how many calories consumed up to training? So many trains first thing in the morning. Um, Hydration's a big one too. Yeah, hydrate, hydration. Did you skip dinner last night, or did you? Uh, have you not had water all day? Are you hydrated? Busy day at work, right? So if I do like eight sessions in a row, and then I train right after, and I haven't eaten, and I'm really drinking water, I'll be in a shit session. Right. And you can divide, you know, any of those variables into just like one thing. I can drink water all day. Cool. Or like I just trained eight sessions in a row. I ate lunch, hydrated, but I, the fact that I just trained eight sessions in a row kind of like an influence on my workout. Um, dude, like trouble with your girl, like your, your kid kept you up last night. Dude, this like literally burning your toes, like I said. You have a stressful like presentation coming up at work. It could be any of those things. If you're an anxious person, like whatever brings you anxiety can negatively affect your nervous system. So it's multifactorial. Yeah, you're expending understanding you're expending energy in the wrong directions. Right. Understanding yourself, understanding if you're if there's certain things that you specifically put negative energy into or allow negative energy to affect you. If you're somebody who needs a certain amount of sleep. Somebody who does better when they train with a certain amount of food, a certain vibration level. Everyone's different. Figure out what affects you the most positively and the most negatively. So in the situation where you were, you're auto-regulating by like, okay, I'm, I'm testing my warm-ups. Okay, it feels heavy or slow. I'm not, maybe I'm not going to go as heavy today. Is there anything else you do um, to try to get the most out of that session? Or is it literally just, just auto-regulate on loads or repetitions? And auto-regulate means basically we're adjusting in real time to how we're feeling or how we're perceiving the exercise to be, um, like whether we go up or down from there. Yeah. So we can auto-regulate the exercise. Like we just kind of talked about, like if I'm doing a set of 10 on hack squat with uh, five plates, we have the super light Atlanta hack squat. So five plates isn't that impressive. Uh, and I know I do like a set of two plates, a set of three plates. I'm like, oh man, three plates was heavy. A set of four plates, ain't no way this happening. Maybe I still do five plates. Maybe I do like six to eight instead of 10 to 12. Maybe I do two sets instead of three. Or maybe instead of a hack squat, I switch to an entirely different exercise. So there's probably a better example of something that's more like externally stabilized versus. Yeah, like if you did like back squat to front squat or something. Yeah, yeah. So let's say I'm doing back squat and it's and like my back squats feel and they look like dog shit. Okay, maybe I'm just going to do a cyclist squat. Maybe I'm just going to do like a leg press. So either decrease the absolute loading. So let's train the same relative intensity. 
I'm just going to add external stability. So like a leg press would be similarly loadable to a back squat if I'm adding external stability or switching the back squat for a pec squat. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, dude, um, it's been real. I appreciate having you on. Uh, if, um, if you wouldn't mind maybe sharing with us the best way for people to learn uh, more about you and what you share and, and where you do that. Yeah. Just give me a follow on Instagram. It's uh, Nick Ridpath underscore N I C K R I D P A T H underscore. Find me on there. Shoot me a message. Um, if you have any, anything you want me to talk about um, the content, let me know. I'm always happy to talk about training with anybody. I'll also link that in the show notes. So it shouldn't be hard to find. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Appreciate it, man.